certainly good to see each one, as I said earlier. Good to be back at Pippin, and especially to be with Brother Randy again and his good wife. And been a few years since we were together in a gospel meeting, but you have a good man working with you, and I'm happy that he's here. Good singing. Excellent direction. You participate well. I have to apologize. I used to love to sing bass slightly off-key, but I liked it. Since I had surgery, <clears throat> I've been unable to sing at all. But I haven't stopped talking yet. What therefore God hath drawn together, let not man put asunder. Interesting statement, isn't it? Verse 6, Matthew chapter 19, chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. We noted that in the Bible class. But I want to continue this line of thinking with regard to what is marriage? Marriage is the blending together of two lives. Two personalities of the opposite sex for so long as the two shall live in this world. It is the building of a home that respects the law of God and protects the morals of mankind. That's what marriage is all about. And when one becomes sober uh, sufficiently to understand his nature and the source of his origin and the basis of his happiness, that's why he enters into the sacred relationship of marriage. It is a divine institution. We noted that earlier, did we not? God had created man perfect, Genesis 2 verse 7, in a perfect world. Oh, but he said it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a help answering to his needs, suitable to him. And so, of a rib taken from Adam's side, he created beautiful Eve, gave her to be the wife of the man. And God said in verse 24, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is a divine institution. And let me suggest that it is monogamic in form. That is, uh, one man for one woman, one woman for one man for life. That's God's divine arrangement. First Corinthians 7 verse 2. Paul said, but because of fornication, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. Let the wife render unto the husband his due, in like manner the husband unto the wife. For the wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. In like manner the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. And defraud you not one the other, except it be by consent for a season, that you may give yourselves unto prayer, and be together again, that Satan tempt you not because of your incontinency. And God arranged marriage for the happiness, the peace, and the well-being of humanity. Ah, uh, monogamic. One man for... Someone says now, preacher, in the Old Testament, uh, many of the faithful men of God had a multiplicity of wives. Well, that's right. And that's why in the Christian age, it's one man for one woman. You see, we learn a lot of things from the Old Testament. What sort of things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and through comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15 at verse 4. If you just took one instance in the Old uh, take Jacob, for instance. First time he laid eyes on Rachel, he loved her. I understand that perfectly. And he worked for Laban seven years for her hand in marriage. The end of the seven years, Laban deceived him, gave him Leah, her older sister. Oh, but he said, uh, 
you fulfill her a week and I'll give you Rachel for whom you can work for me another seven years. Shrewd businessman, but he wound up with uh, two wives. Rachel is barren. Leah finally bore six sons and one daughter. And Rachel, having been given Bilhah as a handmaid by her father Laban, suggested uh, to Jacob that he take uh, Bilhah and use her for a second wife, surrogate mother, concubine, whatever. Oh, and he did, and she bore uh, two sons. Well, Leah left off bearing after four sons, and uh, she thought, hmm, Zilpah was given her as a handmaid, and so she suggested, Jacob, you, you take Zilpah, and uh, he did, and she bore uh, two sons. Then later, Leah had a daughter, Dinah. Jacob wound up with four wives. Read it. There's no happiness in that family. No, no, no genuine joy and happiness. These women are vying for the attention of Jacob continually. And then you could mention 10,000 other reasons why that kind of thing doesn't work. And so in the New Testament, it's one man for one woman uh, for life. Now, at the times of this ignorance, they, God overlooked certain things. Oh, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent, inasmuch as he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Certain things God tolerated or allowed in the Old Testament that, of course, are not permissible, not acceptable in the New Testament. In the first place, that didn't work. Oh, but marriage is vital to man's happiness and well-being uh, more than that. Not only is marriage in God's divine arrangement monogamic in form, but it is procreative in design. You remember when God said in Genesis 1 verse 26, having created the earth perfect, everything they essential to man's happiness, oh, let us make man in our image. Let them have dominion over the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, over all cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And Jehovah God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Oh, and God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, through verse 28. So then, marriage is procreative in design, right? Any other arrangement is whoredom and condemned by the God of heaven. As a matter of fact, uh, that's another thing we learn from the Old Testament, isn't it? Uh, what is it? Exodus 23 at verse 2. A bastard shall not enter into the assembly of Jehovah, even unto the tenth generation shall none of his enter the assembly of Jehovah. That gives an indication of God's attitude toward ungodliness and illegitimate children. Now, be sure you understand something. A child is as pure as the driven snow, innocent before God. But there is a grievous sin committed today, and I'm told about 36% of the children walking the streets really don't know who their fathers are. And that kind of thing is multiplying in this country, and that's the basis for the destruction of the world and the flood, you recall. 
came to pass, men began to multiply upon the face of the ground, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, took unto them wives of all that they chose. Repented God that he had made man, he resolved to destroy him in a great deluge. Ah, yes. Relationships of that kind outside the sacred bond of marriage, not even accepted of right-thinking people. We've lost our ability to think properly in this country, and we have come to accept whoredom, immorality, prostitution. And today our young people have been fed out of filth, and they have certain idols that they look to, and these women expecting a child. Oh, no, 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 they're not married. They've just been living to you. Oh, that's great. That's a marvel. That is ungodly whoredom. And our young people are being fed that kind of filth. We're a two-faced society when it comes to rearing our children. We talk out of both sides of our mouths. We speak of honesty and virtue and forthrightness and morality and freedom of diet of sexuality, fornication, homosexuality, ungodliness in the extreme. And what do we see today? You see the results of that. I say, 11 and 14 year olds sound a false alarm. Draw the student body and the faculty out of the building. Kill as many. What would you do up there? I mean, what? Oh, when my children were growing up, they had Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and uh, Bugs Bunny. And I even remember old Elmer Fudd, you know. Uh, but as far as I know, they've died. I don't hear anything about them anymore. But uh, what our children see today is, uh, there goes your head, boy. Right through you with a spear. And slay as many as possible. Drop bombs on the... What are we doing to our children? We are destroying our young people. It is fantastic how we're thinking or failing to think in our country today. Our children today are having all kinds of problems. You ever heard of a teenager committing suicide? Why, well, yes, sir. That happens frequently. That didn't happen when I was growing up. You couldn't run after me fast enough to shot me. Well, when we take a gun and do the job, there wasn't a bullet made with my name on it. No, sir, that's out of the question. Over today, Psychological maladjustment, unhappiness, misery, lack of identification. We don't know who we are. Oh, that would get us back to a home, wouldn't it? Uh, that would talk of parental responsibility. We may even mention that in passing. Uh, but marriage is uh, procreative in design. I desire that the younger women marry, bear children, rule the household, give no occasion to the adversary for reviling. At first Timothy chapter 5, at verse 14. Say, uh, that's what uh, marriage is all about. That's what the home is all about. Let marriage be had in honor among all, and let the bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That's Hebrews 13 at verse 4. So we need to think seriously about this sacred relationship of marriage authorized by the God of heaven for the happiness and the well-being of man and the continuity of the human family. Only marriage 
can give honorable birth. Any other arrangement is a shame and a disgrace and denotes a terrible sin. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that. Oh, marriage in God's divine arrangement is patriarchal in government. Oh, indeed. Adam was first formed, then Eve. Oh, the man was not deceived, but the woman being deceived hath fallen under transgression. Oh, but she should be saved through her childbearing if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with sobriety. Uh, Paul, are you saying childbearing is a part of the salvation? No, no. Childbearing is the responsibility of womankind. Oh, of faith, love, sanctification with sobriety. These are conditions of salvation. Oh, but, but notice, she should be saved through her childbearing. Oh, and that childbearing is within the framework of marriage. Uh, that's uh, certainly true. Oh, and in Ephesians 5, verse 22, Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, being himself the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wife be to the husbands in all things. And you know, a lot of women today, reared under negative circumstances, uh, with no attention to the word of God at all, say, well, I don't like that. That puts woman uh, in a position of subjection. That, isn't it amazing? That's the woman's passage. That was written to the woman. Next verse, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Oh, as we said earlier, if you don't love her more than you love your own life, if you don't want to spend your life making her happy, if you don't want to spend the rest of your days putting her on a pedestal and making her happy, then don't marry her. Be a dishonor. Because she reciprocates that kind of love and respect, and that's your source of happiness and fullness and joy. That's what marriage is all about. No longer two, but one flesh. Not working against one another. Working for one another, and for the best interests in that spiritual uh, in nature. It is a wonderful thing. Never has been a woman alive, uncorrupted, still pure, but that would respond to that kind of love on the part of a good man. And that's what marriage is all about. No inferior position. Husband is the head of the wife? Oh, yes. As Christ is the head of the... Well, someone said, Preacher, you just quoted, though, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. I decide that the younger woman married, bear children, rule the household. Why, certainly. Yeah, but you, you, you said that the husband is the head of the wife. Right. You're not talking about one person here. You're talking about two people made one in the sacred relationship of marriage. Sure, you don't think I'd go to the house and tell Poe and I, eh, get you a pad and a pencil and I'm going through the cabinets and uh, I'll tell you what you need and you make a list. I don't know what we need. If she sent me to the store for what we need, I'd get a grunt call, a chambray shirt, or maybe a camouflaged arrangement and a box of 270s. That's what you hunt deer with. I don't know what, that's, she does that. That's her realm. Oh yes, I oversee undergird, circumscribe, provide for, but that's her domain. She takes care of that a hundred percent, and she does it in excellent fashion. You see, marriage 
It's not a 50-50 proposition. It's a 75-75 proposition. You give more than you take, and you take more than you give. And in so doing, there's happiness and fullness and an orderly ongoing of the family and the home. That's what it's all about. Now, if I'm going to rebel because I don't have this position or God didn't assign me that, forget it. You won't have a happy marriage. What was it Paul said? It is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4. Uh, but have you know that the head of every man is Christ? The head of Christ is God. The head of the woman is the man. Uh, God, Christ, man, woman. Does Christ feel slighted, um, inferior, because God is his head? Why, well, certainly not. Does a man feel as if he's inferior or he's been left out because Christ is his head? No, well, certainly not. Well, how in the world could the woman feel inferior because the husband is her head? Friend, this is a team effort. Everybody, every person, regardless of sex, has his or her position. There's not a way in the world a man could propagate the human family without his wife. That's out of the question. And I might just add, going in the other direction, there's no way that he can find fullness and happiness, security, and joy, except in the relationship of a happy marriage. That's where we're made. That is an amazing thing. We just don't take into consideration all that God has said on the sacred relationship of marriage. Procreative in design, patriarchal in government. But then let me suggest also that marriage in God's divine arrangement is religious in spirit. Oh, why are we having the problems uh, in the realm of youth today? Oh, that's a problem within the home. Parental responsibility has been, of course, neglected. There's no question. I remember, even in the Old Testament, God speaking to ancient Israel through Moses, said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, These words which I command thee this day shall be upon thine heart. Thou shalt teach them casually, indifferently, and diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt speak of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. They shall be for signs upon thine hands. Thou shalt bind them for frontlets between thine eyes. Upon thy gates and upon the doorposts of thine house shalt thou write them. What is he saying? Feeding your children physical food, uh, we do that, and we understand it, and we love to do it, and we, but that's not primary. <laughs> no, no. Uh, putting clothing on your children to cover their nakedness. So we, we do that. We know the value of it, but that's not primary. Uh, putting a shelter over their heads to protect them from the elements, we do that, glad to do it. We that's not primary. You see, they won't need any of that very long. Not near that long compared to eternity. But if they reach their majority, they'll stand in judgment with you before God Almighty. What are you doing for them? In the whole world, lose your soul, don't know where you came from, where you were going, what you should have been doing here. Parenting is a tremendous privilege. Or if I have to say it, responsibility. What did you say, Lord? These words which I command thee this day shall be upon thine heart. Ooh, children in the family need a godly example in the authoritarian figure within the family. That's you, Dad. 
the first concept a child entertains of the fatherhood of God he learns from you. What does he think about God? Mm, tremendous responsibility. Sir, these words which I command thee this day shall be upon thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently. I will not casually, not occasionally, not indifferently. This is primary. Diligently unto thy children. Speak up when you <clears throat> sit down in your house. When you walk by the way. He didn't say an hour and a half sermon. Oh, no. Just a word or two backed up by a godly example. And <clears throat> you're going back to the back 40. Look behind you. That little fellow stretching those short legs, he's trying to step in your footprints. Tell him when you have that thistle stick in your hand. I mean, especially when that little yellow finch just loves those thistle seed. Besides that, that thistle has a beautiful bloom on it if you just... Why are you rooting up those thistles? Tell him about the noxious plant, how it came into existence. Tell him about that mountain over there made purple by the intervening distance. Tell him about the beautiful, fragrant rose. How long would that take? A minute? A minute and a half? Backed up by a godly example. Well, that lies down. You do go to bed once in a while. No, you don't have to preach a sermon, son. You don't have to stay awake. God never sleeps. He'll watch over you in a brief prayer. Oh, sure, the next morning you may be in a hurry trying to get your coat on, sip that coffee, and he'll run in late, and he understands. That's my dad. He understands about the... Backed up by a godly example. Ooh, children who grew up in that kind of home, psychologically well-adjusted. Sir, they know they belong. They're important. How to deal with their siblings and later with their peers in the workaday world. It is amazing. Parents have a tremendous responsibility. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but nurture them in the chastening, the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. That is uh, most interesting. And we, of course, could deviate and talk all day about parental responsibility. But marriage in God's divine arrangement is religious in spirit. Uh, you remember verse 52 of Luke chapter 2, isn't it? Jesus advanced in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Oh, I remember the prior verse, verse 51. He went down with them, came to Samaria, who was uh, subject unto them, speaking of his parents. When he advanced in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man, right, we've reduced that to three. We teach our children the advance in wisdom, physically, stature, favor with man. We don't do a lot of teaching about the only thing that really counts. You see, you'll be here for a short time. You didn't bring it, and you won't take it. And while you're here, it isn't yours. You pass this way but once. You meet none coming back to right any wrongs or to correct any mistakes. But you're made in the image and the likeness of God. An immortal spirit possessed of free moral agency. Until God dies, you and I will live. Yeah, but God won't die. You get the picture. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Every time your heart beats, every time the clock ticks, you're that much closer to eternity. They shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Verse 46, Matthew chapter 25. Same word descriptive of the duration of both places. That's true of your children and mine.
What are we doing for them spiritually? What do we emphasize in our lives? What do they see in me as an example? Tremendous. Ah, oh, they have a mind like a sponge. Mm, they observe and capture like a steel trap. No, no, he'll never call you a hypocrite, Dad. But a 10-year-old can spot a hypocrite a lot quicker than an 81-year-old. Say, but he'll never call you a hypocrite. But he'll never be led in the right direction. You claim one thing, do something else. Be better to shoot him. Let him go into eternity as a child. That sounds terrible. And we don't do that. But we do a lot worse for our children. These words which I command thee this day shall be upon thine heart. Be sure they're exemplified in your thought, speech, and conduct. Oh, that makes an impression upon your offspring. Right. And then, as you have opportunity, teach them. Oh, and do it in a positive way, diligently to your children. So marriage in God's divine arrangement is religious in spirit. Uh, but let me suggest further. Marriage in God's divine arrangement is indissoluble in nature. Uh, the woman that hath an husband is bound for so long time as her husband liveth. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. For how long is uh, this uh, marriage uh, uh, to be? As long as they live. That's it. One way or the other, man or woman, makes no difference. He just mentions the fact that the woman is bound for so long time as her husband Liveth. Well, that's why the teaching earlier in the class from Matthew 19 at verse 9, Jesus said, And I say unto you that whosoever, we noted that pronoun whosoever, applies to the descendants of Adam in the church, out of the church, big, little, old, young, black, white, rich, poor, makes no difference. This is the Son of God talking. I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And he that marrieth her when she is put away, committeth adultery. For without that one exception, they're still married. But therefore God hath joined together. Forget it. Verse 6. It's joined. Can't be broken. We get a divorce. That's civil law. What God has joined together, you can't break it. The only way you can contract a second marriage is in the death of a spouse or sexual infidelity from which the guilty party will not repent. Mm. Marriage then is a serious business. Right. Paul made that clear with the simple illustration that he used. What is it? Romans chapter 7, did he not? Brethren, I speak to men that know the law. Uh, the wife, the subject for a husband. Uh, for so long time as her husband liveth, just as men under the law were subject uh, to the law. So if while her husband liveth, she be joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. Oh, but if her husband be dead, she's no adulteress, for she be joined to another man. And that's an illustration because he's talking to Christians. You were made dead to the law by the body of Christ that you might be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that you might bring forth fruit unto God. Oh, but the illustration, the example is true. Marriage is a life-lasting proposition, and we need to consider it as such. But then, not to take too long this morning, let me just ask you, what is the, the principal design of marriage? You think about it for a moment. 
Well, as somebody said, preacher, you've already mentioned the appropriation, the, the uh, continuity of the human family. Oh, that's the one of them, yes, sir. That's important. There's no question about that. Uh, but that's not the prime basis for marriage. Well, uh, you quoted uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, to, to prevent fornication, to satisfy, of course, the physical needs and desires within the framework of marriage. And uh, that's important. Yeah, that's a part of it. No, but that's not the prime design of marriage. Well, then, what is the basic design? Well, I'll make him a help meet for him. M-E-E-T. The basic fundamental principle involved in marriage is companionship. Uh, companionship. All too often, men and women get married. The children, sure, taxi service, and they're going in this direction, he's in that direction, he's working, she's trying to take care of the children. I mean, it's a big job, there's no question about it. And then, like I heard of a man and woman standing beside the altar as they watched their, watched their final child, a daughter, run out of the building on the arms of her newly acquired husband, the woman with big tears running down her cheeks said, there goes my last reason for living. And her husband said, you still have me. In six months, they were divorced. She had forgotten why she married. Now, we married, not thinking about, oh, we're going to have to... <laughs> married her because I loved her more than my own life. And she responded to that request for the same reason. And we have four children, say. And... The joy, a blessing beyond description, no question. They grew up, and that young lady met a young man, and she got married. And that young man met a young lady, and he got married. And that young man met a young lady, and he got married. And that young lady met a young man, and she got married. But I said, well, boy, that just, you know, like one lady said to Foy when our last daughter was getting married, she said, I know this will just tear you up. I mean, this will be a terrible thing. I said, yeah, I plan to put on my cheerleading outfit and really lead the pack, you know. Hey, that's why we had the children. They're people. I'm people. She's people. We're married because we love one another. That's why we're married today. I still have exactly what I had to start with, only much, much more. Devotion. Love, appreciation, that's what marriage is all about, you say. It's between husband and wife. Sure, you have children. And children are a blessing from Jehovah. And they're his reward. The fruit of the womb is his reward. That's Psalm 127, verse 3. No question about that. But uh, marriage is based upon a genuine heart-to-heart -heart love on the part of a man and a woman. That's what it's all about. Sometimes aren't able to have children. Sometimes have as many as a dozen. Oh, that's fine. But the relationship is between the man and his wife. Don't ever let a day pass. No matter how busy you may be, and we stay busy, of course, but uh, get her by herself, maybe just for a few seconds. Touch her. Look her in the eye. Tell her how much she means to you, how much you love her. She thrives on that. Oh, and uh, in return, she keeps you happy, healthy, with a positive attitude. That's what marriage 
is all about. Now we haven't talked on fundamentals this morning, but if you are here and not a Christian, a friend, there is no greater privilege than to enter into a covenant relationship with the Almighty that's available only through the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. Now he sealed this covenant with his blood, Hebrews 9, verses 16 and 17. So my responsibility is a matter of faith, believing in Christ as the Son of God. I make up my mind that I want to be like him. I don't want to walk in sin and error anymore than to confess his name before men and be buried with him in baptism. Oh, the old man of sin has thus gone away, and you are raised from that watery tomb a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If you're a child of God and we can help you in any way, that's why we're here. Oh, we're family. Why not come? Make your wishes known while together we stand and sing.